If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. I'm going to read some verses from the first chapter of Galatians, and then uh, we're going to look at uh, a section in Acts chapter 20. Um, You might recognize that we're not in James this morning, so we're going to start a new series through the book of Romans. So in order to set us up for Romans, I thought it might be helpful that we get a little bit acquainted with the human author of the book of Romans, which is the Apostle Paul. So we're going to look at his life today. And I want you to have an image of the Apostle Paul in your mind. Uh, this comes from the second century. This is our first description of the Apostle Paul. So that is, you may be very familiar with the Apostle Paul. You may have never heard of him before. But here's a little bit of what he looked like. In the second century, he is, des- uh, he is described by those um, to say that he was a man of small stature. He was bald. He was bow-legged. He, um, in the 6th century, it's added that he actually had a gray beard, blue eyes, and he smiled a lot. I wonder if you've ever had that impression of the Apostle Paul, that he smiled a lot. Apparently he did. The people knew that he was a man of love and he had joy in his heart. It's also known about the Apostle Paul that he was uh, from a place called Tarsus where there was this particular cloth and fabric made of uh, black goat skin. And that's why when you read about him being a tent maker that he actually learned how to do that when he was very young because he lived in a place that was known for using black goat hair to make uh, tarps and tents and and even um, uh, thick clothes to uh, ward off inclement weather. And so he knew how to do this from an early age. And then the other interesting thing about the Apostle Paul is that he grew up primarily in Jerusalem. And it was there that he was under the tutelage of someone named Gamaliel, who was thought of as an incredible teacher and scholar. So it was quite remarkable that someone like the Apostle Paul, at that time he was Saul, got to learn and be tutored by this guy named Gamaliel. So that gives you a little bit of a, at least a, a picture of the Apostle Paul's life and what he looked like a little bit. And here's the reason why I want us to look at these verses this morning, because we normally just go through a book, and you know that. But I thought this would be helpful to tee it up, because I want you to understand that what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, in his letter to the church in Romans, he knew in his own experience There's lots of things in Romans that may confuse you, may be brand new to you. We'll find out. But I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans jived with his life. It was his own experience. And it was from that that he wrote the book, the letter to the church in Rome under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But he experienced all the things that he wrote about in Romans. I just want to I want you to file that in your mind, because when you come across doctrines at times, you can think, well, I don't like that. I want you to know those things weren't dictated to Paul, and he didn't just write down what someone told him. He knew everything from the inside. He experienced it. With that said, listen to this from Galatians chapter 1. And even though we're going to look at the human author, the Apostle Paul, I want you to remember the Bible is a divine book, right? Right? The Bible is God reaching out to us. The Bible is not a manual uh, in which it tells us how we can reach out to God. It is a book 
that is written by God because he's reaching to us. He's pursuing us. Listen to this from Galatians 1, 11 through 17. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me or literally in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then this from Acts chapter 20. I'll give you more context when we get to it in the sermon. But listen to this from verse 24 of Acts 20. Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. All right, can we pray together? And when we pray, let's believe that God's gonna act. This is not just some empty routine. We believe that God does things through prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to remember we're not here to be nice. We're not here to learn how to be nicer. We're not here because we, we need to know how just to be better. We're really here because we need you to change us and continue to work in us. We need your truth to go deep down into us. We know, Lord, that sometimes that's going to unearth some things. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you are going to operate on us and work on us as we're diving into the word. And we thank you, Jesus, that you prayed 2,000 years ago that we would grow in our understanding, that we would grow in holiness, that we would grow in understanding the mind of our Father as we look at, this, at his word So we thank you, Jesus, that you've prayed for us as well. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Do whatever you need to do to make Jesus irresistible to us afresh and eternally trustworthy. We pray this in his name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's life. And if you want a a billboard, few phrases, whatever, of what we're thinking about today, it's this. I want you and I want us to rethink your story. Got it? That's, that's, that's what we're going to talk about, rethinking your story. Now, in order to do that, I want to ask you this question for you to meditate on and think about. I won't get your feedback, your live feedback today, but it will come in the coming weeks. What five to seven events in your life have shaped it? If you were to think about what are the primary events in my life that have shaped who I am, what would the top five be? What would, this, what would seven be? If you were to sit down and think about your life, what events have most shaped you? Is it a coach? 
A parent, a teacher. By the way, this can go positive in the positive direction or the negative direction, right? What events have shaped you about your job? What about the time you got fired? What about the time you got passed over or, or someone stabbed you in the back? What events have really shaped your life? Because we're going to look at some things that shaped the Apostle Paul's life. And here's the thing. What shaped the Apostle Paul's life can also shape ours. Get it? What happened in the Apostle Paul's life and God's activity in his life happens to us too. So let's think together about the Apostle Paul's life. And let's think about our own lives and maybe even rethink our own story. We'll do that through two questions. First one will be this. Who am I? And the second will be, why am I here? So let's rethink our story as we look at those two questions together. Who am I? Did you notice in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, that the Apostle Paul actually uses the phrase, for you know my former life? Did you pick up on that? The Apostle Paul is thinking about his own life. And even characterizes where he was before compared to where he is now. This is autobiographical. He says, you remember my former life? He even gives us some descriptions of that. In my former life, I was the one who was persecuting the church. Did you read that? And the word is even added in the text, violently. He was seeking to destroy the church. And oh, by the way, he thought he was absolutely in the right, that he was doing the right thing. He was doing something that honored God. Take that in. If you want more descriptions of this, look look at um, some of the the phrases in 13 and 14. It's not just that he persecuted with violence. It's not just that he was trying to destroy the church. It even says, notice this that he was more zealous than many. He was more advanced than many in pursuing the tradition of his fathers. He even compared himself to others who thought like him and he realized that he was better than those who were around him. He perceived himself as further along, more committed, more zealous. There's actually another place in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul says this to even add a a few more details to this. This comes from his letter to the church at Philippi. This is what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have, can you guess the next word? More. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Israel, Benjamin, I'm royalty. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's in Philippians 3. Now, remember, he had this amazing teacher, Gamaliel, and he has all these credentials. He's like, look at everything that I've done. Look at who I am. I am more zealous than many my age. Now, let's translate this into our time. Let's think about the list that we can develop. Now, not all these may hit you. That's completely fine. 
I'm just saying work with me here, okay? What's our list look like? How about this? I was born and raised in the church. Went to Sunday school my whole years, all my years. I got, I got the prize for the, the, the attendance award. I got, I got all the gold stars for memory, uh, for scripture memorization. I was under such and such pastor. I grew up and served in the church. I went through the curriculum of how to win souls. I, I remember the day and the time when I prayed the sinner's prayer. I've even been baptized three times. Maybe four, it's a little questionable, but at least three. I, I have done, look at my list, look at everything that I am. I, no one is more Christian than me. I've been in, every time the door was open, I was there. Now, if someone were to ask you quickly, um, do any of those individually save you? My hunch is, most of you would pass the test on paper. Of course they don't. That doesn't save me. No, my baptism doesn't save me. But here's the problem. Over time, the accumulation of that list begins to creep into our confidence. It begins to creep into where we derive our worth and our value and even our standing before, dare I say, God and others, so that looking at others and comparing to them, look, I've, I've done it all. And no, we would pass the test and say, of course, those things individually, no, I'm not saved because of that, but cumulatively, maybe that list is something that we're tempted to put our trust in, our hope in, our confidence in so that if someone crosses one of thing, something on that list, it makes us upset because we think, you know what? They didn't do it the way I did it. In other words, lo and behold, deep down, we got a list that we're actually counting on for our rightness, for our maturity level, for, for our own self-worth, thinking I've done all these things and I'm a really good person. You see how much we can relate to the Apostle Paul? Our list is slightly different, but pretty much the same. And the Apostle Paul says, this is my, this was my former life. And then, when you continue on, what does he say? Verse 15 and 16, but... God. Did you see that? But God. And what did God do? Well, the primary thing that God did in verse 16 is this. He revealed his son in me. That is a loaded phrase. What did God do? We're going to get to the set apart and we're going to get to the called, but those are all leading up to this amazing statement in verse 16 that God revealed his son, Jesus Christ, in me. Now we can read more details about this in the book of Acts. You can read about 
Paul one day on the road to Damascus and this bright light shone and it knocked him off his horse and it actually literally happened. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a physical problem of being blind after that. So it wasn't some weird euphoric thing. It actually literally happened in history. He has the physical effects of what happened in time and space in history. And Jesus spoke to him and said, you might remember some of these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We could spend a lot of time on that, but I can't this morning. But I want you to know that God revealed Jesus inside the Apostle Paul. This is why he starts out in verse 11 and 12 of Galatians 1 by saying, look, when the gospel came to me, it didn't come from man. It came from God. I didn't make this stuff up. God did this inside of me. He made me realize that Jesus was the real God-man. He was the Messiah. His death was purposeful. His resurrection was purposeful. It meant something in time and history. The Apostle Paul began to understand, oh, these things are historical events and they have changed the world. Changed the world. And if you want more details of that, you can read in later in the book of Acts, around chapter 22 and 26, when the Apostle Paul was asked about what was going on in his life, and we know that God didn't just do something amazing, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 9, God was actually at work in the Apostle Paul's life for years. He was at work in the Apostle Paul's life. When the Apostle Paul reiterates that Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? He adds, why do you keep kicking against the goads? We don't use that phrase very much anymore, but it's like you know a little staff that's used to try to get animals that you're responsible for in the right place, sometimes at the right speed. And God was saying, Saul, I've been doing stuff in your life that you've been fighting against for a while. One of those things was this. There was a man named Stephen. Now, if you want to read about Stephen or what went on not long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, um, read the first few chapters of Acts. It is absolutely electric. I mean, Jesus rises from the dead and, and pours out his Holy Spirit and boom, the gospel begins to spread as it has been spreading for 2,000 years. You do realize again and again and again, we are the ends of the earth, right? Like Jerusalem to Greenville, North Carolina, we are the ends of the earth of what Jesus was talking about in the first century. The gospel has gone that far. It's amazing. Cross cultures can't stop it. Remember? What king has knocked out Christianity? None. What disease? None. What army? None. The gospel cannot be stopped. And Stephen was delivering a message. And oh, by the way, Saul was there. You can read in Acts 8 that when Stephen had delivered his message in Acts chapter 7, that the, and, and, and they picked up stones to throw at Stephen and ultimately kill him, there was a guy there named Saul. 
and he agreed with the decision to put Stephen to death. He didn't throw any stones, but he agreed with the decision. But let me tell you, let me tell you what Saul, Paul, not only saw with his eyes as Stephen was dying, but let me tell you what led up to that. Stephen started talking about all of Paul's history, of the history of the Jewish people. And he started talking about Abraham. And he started talking about Moses. And he started talking about David. And he started talking about all of this The Apostle Paul had nothing that Stephen had, nothing. And he realized in that moment that he was absolutely bankrupt. And everything that he had been doing, all of his righteousness, the whole list, it ended him with zilch, nada, nothing before God. He didn't understand the scriptures. He didn't understand Jesus. He didn't understand the mission of God. Meanwhile, thinking that he understood everything. You get it? God reached down and revealed Jesus inside of the Apostle Paul so that he could understand the scriptures and understand what's going on in the world and understand how bankrupt he was. Even though, you better believe he thought he was a good person. You better believe that he knew that he scrupulously followed the commandments of God and the tradition of the fathers and it landed him empty empty. I'm talking about his mind and his heart were bankrupt. He was self-deceived, thinking he was doing everything right, and he was completely off course, even though he was taught the scripture. Can you, can you fathom that? God had been pursuing Paul through everything in his life. And even when Stephen was murdered, God was at work in the Apostle Paul's life. Isn't that astounding? And, and then prior to that phrase in verse 16, remember, God says, well, actually, let's, let's put it this way. The Apostle Paul said, God set me apart from my mother's womb. Did you read that? Whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. And God called me? Wait a minute, so Paul's not in the center of this whole thing? So, 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 so Paul wasn't the one that like sealed the deal? No. He came to realize that God has, been, has had a plan and is working out his mission and it meant that he had set apart Paul from his mother's womb and then in time called Paul to himself. Paul thought he was great. Paul thought he was doing wonderful things. God didn't. Doesn't that blow you away? Beloved, the living God can't be tamed. He can't be bought. He can't be manipulated. This is the God of the scriptures. This is the God of the universe. He is in complete control and every good thing that happens in our lives is traced back to him. Even our faith. He gives it to us. He has done everything. That's why the Apostle Paul says here, 
It was by grace. It's by grace. Do you notice that phrase? Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. See that? All right, so let's get more practical here. By the way, this first point is way longer than the second, all right? So I'm not gonna keep going on and on and on. How can you know that God is at work in your life? How can we take all this stuff that we've been learning together in these verses in Galatians and and bring it into your life? How do you know that God's working in your life? I'll tell you three quick things. One is this. You can sense when there is a power at work in your mind and in your heart that you didn't initiate and you can't get away from. That may lead to some wrestling going on in your mind and wrestling going on in your heart, but something has a hold of you. There's a power that is getting into your mind and into your heart, and that power comes from outside of yourself, and it has a hold on you. The next way that you can know that God is a work in your life is this, that there is um, deep disruption So it's not just that you can't escape this power that has a hold on you. It's that that power is actually disruptive in your life, deeply disruptive, meaning that you're starting to think about how you think. Did you hear that? You start thinking about how you think. And you start thinking about how you think and you realize, "Mm, you know, there may be some gaps in the way that I see the world and yet the way I kind of experience some things. This wrestling goes deep down to where you start thinking about ultimate questions like, what do I really think about this life? What do I really think about what's next? What do I really think about the brokenness and, and all that I see around me? What do I really think about that? And personally, that can get brought home in much deeper ways whenever you find out you have some disease that you weren't expecting to have and it wasn't on your calendar. And there's this deep disruption of what do I really think and what's really going on? And then, it's not just that something has a hold of you that you can't get out of, it's not just that there's this deep disruption, it's that things start to click. And what I mean by that is not that you start thinking about Christianity and like start trying it on like you would a pair of jeans or a jacket and wonder whether it fits. I'm talking about your mind begins to awaken to truth. So that something has a hold of you, it's deeply disruptive, but there's this, there's this thing that's true. That like there's truth, and that truth is starting to have an effect. And it's not that I'm trying it on, it's like it's got a hold of me. And I'm interested in it, but my goodness, it, it, like, it won't let me go. And everywhere I turn, I'm thinking about things that I never used to think about, like my motives. And, and, and everywhere I go, I start thinking about, oh, um, you know, creation is more beautiful than I ever realized. 
And, and you start thinking about, what, what do my degrees mean anyway? What does it matter what's in my bank account? Really? Really? So that this thing that's got a hold of you that's disruptive, all of a sudden your mind begins to awaken to the truth and you start looking at everything and everyone differently. That's exactly what was happening to the Apostle Paul. It's exactly what happens to us. Truth begins to take root. And that may raise a thousand other questions. It may leave you in a place of absolute silence. It may bring greater joy to your life than you could ever express. Meanwhile, you got all this stuff over here. I don't know what this is. God was doing something in his life and in our lives through Jesus. I want to illustrate this to you. This is taken from uh, another pastor, and uh, if you email me or text me, I'll be happy to send you the link. I saw this uh, last summer, and so I'm borrowing it and kind of making it my own. He, this pastor began um, um, meditating on the thief on the cross, the one that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that? And, and he was, and this pastor was meditating on what would it have been like for that thief on the cross who died that day to enter into heaven. What would that have been like when he first entered into heaven? What would it be like? And he was meditating on this and he it basically comes down to this. What would the angels say to him? Let's just pretend for a moment. What would the angels say to the thief when he died and entered into heaven? Well, we're not sure what to do with you. Well, why, why are you here? And the thief on the cross would say, I don't know. And the angels started thinking, well, we don't know what to do with this, so we better go get a supervisor. So they bring the supervisor up, and the supervisor talks to this thief, and he says, hey, so let's, let's, um, let's go through some things here. I hope you'll remember what we talked about just about 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. I hope that's in your mind still. So um, who, how many Bible studies have you been to? None? Well, well, let's, what is your doctrine of Scripture? Uh, I've never seen the Scripture before. But, but what do you think about justification by faith? Never heard of it. <laughs> Have you been baptized? Nope. Why are you here? And you know what the man said? The thief on the cross said, I'm here because the man on the middle cross, said I could come. The man on the middle cross said that I can come. I'm here because of that guy. Not because of any Bible study I've been to, not because I own a scripture, not because I've been baptized, not because I got my doctrine right. I'm here because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Who am I? Well, I'm more jacked up than what I could tell you. There are lots of times where I feel like I'm going the right direction only to realize I was self-deceived and I was absolutely wrong. But God has been working things in my life and all of this is by grace. So that my only hope is that God keeps working 
My trust is that he will. And I see Jesus as the Messiah, the righteous one for me. And that all that he did was on my behalf. We should never, ever talk about how in the world we get to heaven in the first person. Well, I... He said I could come. Why am I here? Let's look at Acts 20. Remember, this chapter was where the Apostle Paul had been ministering to the church in Ephesus, and he had been uh, loving on the church there and giving them the word and going through conflict. And in this particular chapter in Acts is where the Apostle Paul is communicating with the elders of the church, and he loved them and they loved him. They even cried when he departed that day. And these are the words that he said to them. As they were encouraging each other and edifying one another and praying for one another, he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what Paul is saying. I am through living for myself. See it? Beloved, you can say the same thing. I'm through living for myself. It is exhausting. It is exhausting living for myself, trying to guard and, and, and constantly tweak how people see me and think of me, and, and I'd really have a hard time telling people what's really going on the inside because I don't really like taking time to think about what's going on, on the inside anyway. It's exhausting. Paul is saying, I'm through with living for self. I'm through. And he's telling us here that my life has direction. What I want in my life is for the Lord Jesus Christ to be made known. And friends, that means you don't have to be a pastor to do that, okay? I hope that you take your calling seriously this week. I hope that no matter what you're doing, you realize that you are part of God's mission to spread his glory in the world, to fulfill all that God has for you using every gift that he has given you, every skill that he has given you, that you're using it for him and for his glory and all of the complicatedness that comes with what does it mean to work out my faith in a fallen world. Because it's not easy. Paul's life had direction. So does ours. That means this, and this is where we'll end. Very quickly, two things. Please remember, the planner is always greater than the plan. And the plan is to make much of the planner. Please remember that. Because if you're a planner, guess what? It's going to get wrecked. When Jesus, before he left, said to his disciples, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you remember that? 
In other words, Jesus told all of his followers, this is what is going to happen in the world. This is the plan. And you read the rest of the book of Acts and no one ever brings it up again because they were more concerned with the planner than the plan. Does that make sense? The apostle Paul made plans to plant churches here and there and sometimes God said, nope. Because the plan is to make much of the planner. Our lives are about the planner. Our lives are about God and the message of Jesus in and through everything that you're doing in your life. And the second thing is this, hope. These verses, this verse in chapter 20 is full of hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. That's not what hope is in the Bible. That's not what it is through Jesus. Hope is, hope is knowing that the power of the age to come has broken in. And the death and disease and the wars and the conflict and all that you see around you is coming to an end because Christ is alive. Your hope every day as you enter into the brokenness that is our lives, your hope is that the power of the age to come is broken in and is having an effect and is changing things in the world, starting with us. That is our hope. The reason why the Apostle Paul, the reason why we want to serve God is because we have hope. We know that the God of the universe is spreading his glory and is calling his people to himself and using them as they are ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Beloved, we have hope because of Christ.